Check, 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 check.
Good morning. You know, each week I'm always glad to be here and to come to this kind of stable moment in my week. This week of all weeks, I'm particularly thankful to see you, to be gathered here as God's people, uh, pursuing him, uh, standing on his promises, good things to be together. Our call to worship this morning is from the book of Psalms. I've set it up as a responsive reading, Psalm 148. So let's let our hearts be directed by uh, the word of God. I'll begin. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean's depths, light and hail and snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the, all the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for us, his people, a monument. The praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our opening hymn, number five, 353, uh, let us worship, stand as you're able, and let's sing to the glory of God. Amen, and have a seat if you would. Well, again, I'm thankful to welcome those of you who've gathered with us together here on site. It's nice to see the sun. We've had all four seasons this week. <laughs> what a time it's been. We've gathered here on site, but I'm thankful as well for those of you online by our live stream or recording that you let us join you in your space and time. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit can cross that bridge, be here, be there and do his work. It's good to be together. 
Uh, this morning, again, I'll touch after the service. Each of you is welcome to join for a coffee, juice, some munchies, a time to kind of uh, catch up with one another, perhaps meet someone new, perhaps welcome somebody. Uh, and get to know them, at least by name and face, uh, beginning off that way. Also at 10.30, I'll be in classroom number one in the basement. We gather for kind of a post-service follow-up. Folks ask questions. Uh, we interact. It's kind of an open mic thing. What did you mean to say by that, Pastor Bill? It's a great to get the feedback. I always look forward to that. We're very glad to have our African member, South Africa, uh, as David Steenweich has returned from a mission trip there. Anxious to hear more about that trip, man. What an opportunity. Spotlight on David. He's grinning and turning red. Um, one of the things you'll notice this morning, and, and I'll go right to the slides here, um, some things coming up this week on Wednesdays throughout Lent, both in the morning and then just before community night, uh, we've planned a very brief but focused scripture, prayer, and communion service. About 30 minutes to just stop in the middle of the week, breathe deep, and prepare our hearts for the journey that is Lent. Um, I saw a TV thing this week, you know, Mark Wahlberg, um, uh, movie actor, uh, committed Roman Catholic, has recently played a priest in the midst of this. He was being interviewed on the morning TV, and you could see the ashes. They wanted to explain his new 40-day challenge. Friends, we're living the Christian life in a world that no longer remembers or understands. Lent is a time to prepare our hearts and lives to focus on the center of history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's no 40-day challenge. It's preparing our hearts for uh, the resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> Another really exciting upcoming event, uh, emeritus professor from Calvin, an art professor that I've gotten to know, Frank Spires, will do a brief presentation with slides on Wednesday night uh, after our community dinner for anyone that's interested. He calls it the end of art. And he kind of shows paintings and drawings across the past several centuries and helps you see how ideas show themselves in art. You'll begin to see some of the underlying ideas that have changed our world and the world to which we speak that no longer remembers Lent. So it's a very fascinating and good presentation. I encourage that to you. And then our upcoming a pack for Feed My Starving Children. Uh, you see the dates on there. We still have time open. You can call the office or register online. I'm going to be a part of the Friday. It's a great way for us to serve together as we put together nutritious meals uh, to ship overseas. Last year when we finished this at about this same time, they said, we've got the infrastructure together. Most of the meals we put together over a thousand, as I recall, most of the meals we've put together will go to Ukraine. And I remember thinking, whoa, we get to invest our time and effort in caring for the people of Ukraine. Now, that was a year ago. We'll see what adventures he has. Now, let me prepare you. The next thing you're going to see today is I will not be preaching. My 
coworker, colleague, bud. Um, J.B. Wernland will be preaching. He is the campus pastor at Fusions. Many of you are aware it's been quite a hectic week. Um, I finished barely last Sunday, remember, with a sinus infection. I went to Muskegon to run a church workshop for a church there. Uh, Tuesday, I officiated at a memorial service for um, Marion Hoffman. We had plans for Wednesday. We had plans for Saturday. It was clear that for me to focus on the families, because we had another memorial service on Friday, for me to focus on caring for those families at those two services, I would not have much left by the time we got here. So JB stepped up. Because we're regularly preaching, praying, working together, I knew that even if I were to give you my best in this moment, there just wouldn't be much left. So I'm thankful for the team that I get to work with and for what we'll be able to um, receive from JB this morning. Um, Finally, something that I've been following real closely, many of you know that I did my doctoral work on spiritual awakenings, and I've spent five years reading about these moves of God through 20 centuries of history. And Friday of this week, the two and one half week chapel service at Asbury was brought to a close. They ended public meetings in a way that I think is very wise and a very good stewardship of that awakening. But I've been watching very closely because this was five years of my study. Um, I'm deeply invested in this. And I've been gathering resources on my blogs. I've now got several up. Two in particular articles I encourage you to read. One was I put up Thursday from the Atlantic Magazine called When a Christian Revival Goes Viral. And it's a perspective from somebody who was there for nine days. Very helpful in Atlantic Magazine. The other was an eyewitness account uh, given to us by um, Christianity Today. I posted that on Friday, and it lets you see some of the thoughtful, prayerful decisions of leadership in this. And one of the reasons I say that we will know what's up in five years from these past two weeks. But two weeks in, I want to tell you, I'm encouraged. And the other thing I've seen deeply as I've read about this is I see more and more that for some people who have, and I've talked about this, a flat or imminent view of the world, the world is just cause and effect. So you got to explain what you see in terms of psychology or social forces or politics or economics. As those folks have looked at this event, it's hard for them to understand. They've got to keep looking for, well, what's the political edge? And there was none. They've got to look at what's the social forces, and that's really not what's at play here. The eyewitness accounts keep using the word transcendent. They would walk into that sanctuary, and there was more there than meets the eye. And that's the thing that I think the scripture calls us to, is this rich view of God's world, that it's not only cause and effect, but there's more here than meets the eye. There's a transcendent spiritual quality. So I encourage you, read those things, catch up with them. Um, I typically give about four sermons through any service, so that's the first two. But I encourage you to be informed and to be aware that an imminent 
two-dimensional view of this event is going to be confused. It's going to be like trying to take a photograph of a sculpture. You'll miss something important. The Heidelberg Catechism, an expression of our faith, question number 86, let us confess our faith together. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works together? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits so that he may be praised through us so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and so that by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. The Christian life is about surrender and walking with God. Let's express that in hymn number 737, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Amen, and have a seat. Let's enter into time of prayer together, and then after that, I'll have uh, the kids come forward. We have a kind of summary video to set our reading from the story. But for now, let us turn to the Father and pray together, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God and Father, you've loved us deeply in Jesus Christ. We see the cost and we see the power of your love for us at the cross. For there Jesus would take our burdens, would pay the price, and would ransom us to victory in his resurrection. We thank you for that good news and for the change that it works in us day by day, glory unto glory. Father, we live in a broken and confused world. We see at this second anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine, 
in the suffering of those people. As we read about the deaths of despair, uh, as we've lost as many American citizens to deaths of despair in a year as the Ukrainians have lost to the Russian invasion. And so, Father, in this broken world, we seek uh, your grace that you would move in us with peace and security, but then you would move through us with service and with the hope of the gospel. Father, we ask that you renew your people authentically, deeply, powerfully. We thank you that you've called us to love you more than your gifts, that we're called to serve and walk with you rather than pursue other things that you may pour out. So this day we set our hearts on the resurrected, saving, gracious Lord Jesus Christ. With that in mind, Father, we pray for the ministries of Heart Awake. We ask in your grace and power to anoint Aaron as he uh, preaches and brings your word in uh, watershed. For JB as he'll serve and preach both in fusion and celebration today. For uh, Pastor Florencio, who'll proclaim the gospel in Spanish right where I'm standing in just a few hours. We thank you for the many churches we share hope in the gospel with and carry ministry forward with in this place and to the utter ends of the earth. Father, we thank you that the good news is not simply for us, but you've called us to go. And so we send our best, as it were, these past weeks having sent David to South Africa to not only learn and grow, but to serve. We pray for uh, Luke Carrick and his family. Uh, be with Luke and Kelsey in Ireland as they seek to do church planting and renewal through discipleship there. We pray for a, a new wave of grace to restore uh, that nation, even as we pray for our own. Thank you for your work through missionaries. Father, uh, we pray too for those in authority over us this week for local government, for school boards, public and private charter, for homeschooling families. We pray for the great ministry of education to bear fruit in all its different forms. For Hope College. Father, we pray for uh, township boards, for our county commission, for the various offices and workers who uh, implement government on the local level. We pray for the rule of law that shalom for all people might be birthed, your good intention for your creation. Father, in a special way this week, I pray for celebration. Having navigated together with two grieving families, we thank you that you walk with us in grief but you don't leave us there. So be with them step by step. Be with us step by step. I'm going to ask you, I do this often. This is a good week to do this. I'm going to give you a moment of silence. But you pray for those that you know, perhaps for yourself, who are on a journey of grieving, step by step, day by day.
Father, we pray too that you would equip us, set our hearts at rest, a security in you and a shalom that comes from you. Give us words of gospel grace to bring to those we will see this week at school or at work, in our families, in our neighborhood. Make us mindful of who you are and what you are doing, how you would desire to use us in that regard. Thank you for the honor of the calling to the family of Jesus. May we in humility, because it's given by grace, but with kind bravery, because again, you've given us a message by grace. May we live this out every place you would put us. Father, teach your people to pray and hear us as we pray together with one voice, just as you have taught us using these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Sure, come on down, Michael. At this point, um, like to, yeah, Janet will join us. Any of you have kids, I'll let you determine whatever age you like, Ron. Um, we'll have our kids join us down here on the front row. We have a video that kind of encapsulates our reading from the story. And so glad to share that and make the best of it. Um, so I knew you'd be sitting right in the middle of it, JB. So I was just setting you up for it. Thanks very much. Okay. <laughs> Great. Let us again get a picture of this chapter from the video in this regard. Over time, the Israelites who had been spread throughout Babylon and other countries began to arrive back home and worship God in Jerusalem at the newly rebuilt temple. But the wall around Jerusalem had still not been rebuilt, leaving it vulnerable to an attack. There was an Israelite named Nehemiah who was living in Susa at the time. When he was told that the Israelites were returning to Jerusalem, but there was no wall to protect them, he wept and prayed, asking God to help rebuild the wall. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem and gathered the priests and officials and told them of his plan. The plan worked and the wall was rebuilt in only 52 days. Nehemiah wanted to make sure the Israelites were not only safe, but worshiped God with their whole lives. So after the wall was completed, he gathered all of the Israelites and the priest Ezra read to them from the book of Moses. The people understood that they were not currently living God's ways. So they began to weep, but Ezra stopped them, instructing them to instead celebrate all that God had done and return to God's ways. So the Israelites did what Ezra said and began to party. This went on for several days. A short time after this, God sent another prophet named Malachi to the Israelites. Malachi warned the people of what would happen if they turned from God's ways, but also reminded the people of God's promise to bless Israel and use them to bless the entire world. 
After Malachi, God did not speak to the Israelites through a prophet for 400 years, but God would not be silent forever. Boy, the story continues. We saw the kings and the divided kingdom. The northern kingdom is conquered. The southern kingdom is carried off to Jerusalem. Now they're back. They rescued, were rescued through Esther last week. And now God continues to renew and do good work in them. And soon, after 400 years of silence, soon and very soon, the Lord Jesus will come. Have any of you ever had to live through 400 years of silence? No, we haven't. But even in 400 years of silence, God is at work in good ways. That's what we see in this larger passage today. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for the good news of your scripture, that you've loved us and that you are at work, whether we hear your voice or whether we simply meditate on past promises. Be present now. Thank you for these kids and the chance that we have to share life with them, even as you've given life to us. Bind us together as your people, Celebration Hardawike, to give you glory and to encourage one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, those of you who are going downstairs with Miss Janet, now's your moment. I'd say head down and... JB, come right up. I won't give you any more introduction. Um, he's usually on the other side of the hallway. We've asked him to come over, uh, and I'm thankful. Um, I just can't tell you how much fun and encouragement the three of us, Aaron, JB, and myself, Thank have you. week by week. Because there's life there, it feels like to me, life can move to the rest of you. And then when a week like this hits, I'm free to invest more deeply where I need to because I know I'm working with a good team. This is, this is hard like working, folks. It's worth celebrating. JB. Uh, and good morning. Uh, Bill, I was gonna say much of the same thing. The one thing that struck me is uh, after the service for the Q&A, it's one thing to have to answer like what you were trying to say, but today you're gonna have to try to figure out what I was trying to say during the Q&A. But anyway, it is good. It is, it is good to be part of this team. And, and next week, Bill's gonna be be filling in over at Fusion for me, and so uh, there's, something, there's something beautiful when, when we get to witness our unique system working in a beautiful way. Amen? Amen and amen. Um, real quick, we're, as the video kind of said, we are jumping right in this morning. Uh, we're continuing our 31-week-long series through the grand narrative of Scripture using this beautiful resource, uh, The Story, which arranges Scripture passages and summaries to give us a view of the whole narrative of Scripture. Believe it or not, um, this is our last week in what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Uh, last week, as, as Bill mentioned, uh, we looked at the challenges of God's people away from Jerusalem in the Persian Empire. We looked at the story of Esther. And this week, we, we step back into the land of Israel and, uh, and, and listen to and consider the accounts of God's people rebuilding in the land. Uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
uh, gives record of this time in history. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in the book of Ezra. If you remember, when Zerubbabel comes and rebuilds the temple, leads this effort to rebuild the temple. Uh, that's Ezra chapters 1 through 6. Seventy years after Zerubbabel, uh, Ezra comes. Ezra is a priest, and he leads a second wave uh, of returning uh, Judeans to the land of Israel. And, and his focus is Torah teaching and rebuilding community. That's Ezra chapters 7 through 10. And then we get to the book of Nehemiah, who is a, a governor, a political leader, who leads yet another wave of returning uh, Israelites as, with this task of rebuilding the wall around the city of Jerusalem. That's Nehemiah chapters 1 through 7. Uh, see, the return came in multiple waves of Israelites returning to the land. And, and as we mentioned last week, a majority of the, the Israelites remained in exile across the Persian Empire. And that brings us where we're going to focus this morning. Our text this morning is, is Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, the, the temple is finished. The walls around Jerusalem are also completed. Though some of the people, uh, there's, there's few people there. Many of the homes are unfinished at this point as we read in chapter 7. Uh, but something incredible happens. The walls are finished. Uh, Ezra, the priest, stands up before the people and simply begins reading from the law of the book of Moses, the Torah, the first five books of our scriptures. And, and as he reads from God's word, something incredible happens. And that's where we're going to be stepping into the story. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 18, though we're only going to read select verses from uh, that chapter. If you're willing, if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. 
because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Uh, then day two arrives, uh, and the, in reading the word, they discover this command of the Lord to celebrate a feast, a, a week-long feast of tabernacles, which commemorates that time of wandering in the wilderness, and that's exactly what they do. And then that section is summed up in verse 18. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account of your people gathering in Jerusalem around the walls of the city. We thank you for how we can read of a work, a move of your spirit then and be inspired and be moved and be captivated on what that might look like today. Teach us, form us, and shape us, we pray all this in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. You'll notice on the screen there, I'm guessing uh, you have heard because we just talked about it, um, but this thing that's being referred to as the Asbury Revival. Um, one of the other gifts is, is to have Bill on our team who, I don't know if you'd say expert or I don't know what the, whatever it is, but anyway, interested because there's so much information coming out about the Asbury Revival that I went to Bill's blog uh, and to try to compile and, and kind of condense all of the information um, but if, you, if you're aware of, of what happened um, several weeks ago on Asbury's campus, a Christian college in the state of Kentucky, what began as a, a normal chapel service on a Wednesday morning uh, ended with, with a student uh, confessing some sins before the people, just really vulnerable and open to the community, and people were just compelled uh, to just stay. Uh, and so what began as a normal Wednesday chapel just continued for 13-plus days of worship and testimony and open confession and reading the scriptures and prayer uh, on this small Christian campus in, in Kentucky. And as Bill mentioned, it's received quite a bit of national attention. And as you can imagine, there's, there's various opinions about what happened there. Um, but last week I was struck because uh, I came across... Um, Someone who went to Hope College. You've heard of Hope College, right? I went to Hope College back in uh, 2001 to 2005. Uh, and I came across this, this tweet uh, about Hope College campus. I don't know if you can really read that. That might be kind of difficult to read, although that screen is, is glorious. That's pretty nice. Um, you might be able to read that. Uh, but he, Nathan Hart writes this, an alumni of Hope College, uh, what happens after revival? Here's a picture of Hope College Chapel every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, a packed house most days, all voluntary, spirit-led, a spirit filled with student-led music since 1996, 25 plus years uh, of faithful, um, yeah, worship. I, I read that and I began to remember my time at Hope College and when I was at Hope College, we, we heard little whispers about what happened that, that sometime in the 90s, chapels at Hope College was just a handful of students uh, in the chapel. And then there was this moment where, in, and I guess it was 1995, where all of a sudden it, it exploded and there was just, that Dimnit Chapel was packed. And, and for me, I was just remembering, oh, I just thought that was Wednesday at Hope College Chapel, right? That was just my experience. I didn't, never thought of it as a revival or renewal or awakening. And, um, 
And so Yvonne and I went this past Friday, and I would post some pictures that I took, but she kept elbowing me like, quit taking pictures of the chapel and just worship, right? Our wives are, uh, are, are better halves, right? Um, but we returned this week, and it was, it was wonderful just to remember that time in my life. And I began to just think about, what do we make of these, these moves of God's Spirit? Now, I mentioned there's all these different responses out there. Um, some are suspicious, some are skeptical, some are even critical of what's happening. Others are curious. Others are filled with hopes and, and dreams that, that some move of God is, is sweeping our nation in this moment. And, and again, what I just began to consider was, how fitting is it, once again, uh, that we arrive to this point in the story on this Sunday? We get to recall and recollect what God was doing uh, in the time of God's people in Nehemiah chapter 8. And so what I want to do this morning is, is simply look back at what we read about what was happening at Nehemiah 8 where there was clearly this work of God among the people, identify some of the key things that were happening during that renewal, and hopefully we can find that helpful and informative for us. Sound like a plan? Let's move forward. So, so Nehemiah uh, tells of this spiritual renewal in Nehemiah chapter 8. Again, context, the people have just finished rebuilding the wall around the city. Uh, their numbers are, are relatively small at this point. Many of their own homes have not been rebuilt or finished. But what transpires next, what we read together, is somewhat unexpected and yet incredible. The people gather outside the, the, the city wall at the water gate. Uh, but notice a couple of things about this renewal moment. It's not planned. It's not really well coordinated, right? There's no laser light shows. There's no popular worship band. There's, there's no dynamic celebrity preacher, right? No. Instead, it's, it's a moment that begins with, with Ezra, the priest, uh, simply standing before the people opening the, the Torah, the book of the law, and he begins reading the scriptures to those gathered. He begins at the break of dawn and continues reading for hours till noon, just reading God's word. And what we realize, the first thing about this movement of God's spirit among the people is, is that scripture was central. The spiritual renewal in Nehemiah 8 begins and largely centers around God's Word, the Scriptures. Not only in, in the public reading of Scripture, but if, if you recall what we read together through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We read that there's, there's Levites there who are offering the people instruction in the law, making it clear to them and giving the meaning of the Scripture so that people understood what was being read in verses 7 and 8. So the reading and the preaching and the teaching of God's Word paired with, with intentional discipleship brought understanding that was central and key in this moment of renewal. And now, I read that, and I step back into our own context, and I just, what a, what a powerful reminder for us today, right? Uh, I don't know if I'm the only one, but as a preacher, it's easy for me to, to get caught up in, in all of the stuff on, on the periphery, Right? Those things that are, are good and important, but, but for me, as I'm, as I'm preparing a sermon, like, like I want to find that perfect illustration that lands the point or that, that application story that just really brings it home or, or even, this is maybe more a private confession, but that alliteration, you know what I mean? Like pastors, we love that alliteration that just kind of frames the points and they all start with the same letter. Or it's kind of creative. And I kind of get, it's easy for me to kind of get wrapped up into that. 
But there's other areas of ministry as well on Sundays or beyond, like what's that perfect discipleship program or what's that next sermon series or, or what's that the perfect children's program or the follow-up strategy as we, we try to follow up with our visitors and our guests who come and worship with us. And those are all good things. They're things we should take time and we should consider. But, but the primary question is, are we centering our lives and our worship on God's word? And are we seeking to understand and be discipled in God's word? And, and, and I think so. I believe that's what we're trying to do. I hope so, right? That's our intent. Scripture was central in this renewal in Nehemiah 8 and remains something that should remain central as we worship together. The next thing we observe in Nehemiah 8 is the people respond in worship. The people hear the word of God and then they respond. After the public reading and teaching of the scriptures, we read in verse 6 uh, this, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people. What did they do? They lifted their hands and they responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, again, we don't read of anything like elaborate or, or cutting edge. Like there's no mention of what specific songs they may be saying or, or any other kind of strategies that might have been employed. No, it's just the people of God responding in that moment with, with hands lifted up, shouts of amen, and then their faces buried to the ground in worship. It is uh, this a simple description of simple and raw and honest worship. Worship as a response to God. Now again, for me, this was just, I had to pause and just remember, and, and what a powerful reminder that, that, that for us, when we think of worship, many of us, when, we, when, when I hear worship, one of the, well, the first thing that pops in my mind, I don't know about you, is, is music, right? Music, we think of, of music and expressing and singing to God, and, and music is an absolute beautiful, wonderful way to respond to God. It is a gift of God. It's affirmed in the scriptures, right? We have the Psalms, the songbook of scripture. Um, but one of the things I was recognizing was one of the temptations for us, uh, particularly in our modern context on Sundays, uh, when we have just such beautiful music in, across campus, I mean, Jane playing the organ, which I don't even know how the hands and the feet, it's incredible to watch. Anyway, um, but we have just amazing music across campus, right? And the temptation is to simply be like observers of this gift of music and to just like receive or, or consumers of it. But Nehemiah reminds us that no, no, worship is to be a response. It's easy for us to get caught up in kind of our consumer culture, but no, this is not something we consume. No, no, this is a way for us to offer ourselves in response to the Lord because God is good, amen? And so we participate. So there's nothing sweeter uh, to our ears when we hear the people of God powerfully singing worship songs and responding in worship. We offer ourselves to God, and not just in music, but in a lot of different ways as well. Worship as response. The third thing to notice, uh, the people's response of worship, if, as we continue to read in this chapter, continues to, to expand and broaden. And really what we see is that worship is, is a communal response. Worship uh, for the people in Nehemiah is, is, is community-oriented. We, we read this right away in verse 1. 
It, 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 in this scripture, it, it happens so quickly, it's hard, to, it's almost easy to miss. But in verse 1, we read, all the people came together as one in the NIV. The, the Hebrew there is ish echad, uh, ish, which is actually the word man. So the people came together as one man, ish echad, to just further emphasize this unity as one, God's people gathering as one not only that, but this time of worship expands to include eating, right, and drinking. Uh, as the video that we showed the, that we all watched, like, becomes kind of a party of sorts, right? Nehemiah instructs, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Notice something about the description of the food and drink. The food and drink is not just like sustenance or fuel so that we can just keep worshiping like, like just grain and water. No, 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 no. The, the, the food and the drink is part of the celebration. Gather choice food and sweet drink. And not only that, but, but, but go and, and bring some to those who have nothing prepared because this is a moment that is characterized by unity and generosity and celebration and joy. And then this celebration leaks into day two, verse 13, and continues with this week-long festival of, of tabernacles. Again, I mentioned before, this commemorates the time of God's people in the wilderness as they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land where they did not have home, but they lived in tents. And so they were to build these temporary structures, these tents, these booths, these tabernacles. And they did just that. They, they build these structures for eight days. They, they have this festival in Jerusalem. Now again, I, I pause, and what a, what a powerful reminder as we step back into our own time. Uh, too often, in our modern context, uh, worship has become so individualized. Right, right. We, we frame worship as, as these individual experiences uh, that, that occur together in one place, but oftentimes we talk about it as if the gathering together is, is only a means of enhancing my own personal experience with God. Again, this is an influence of our culture, that worship is individualized, right? But no, 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 the model of Scripture over and over again here in Nehemiah is that worship is to be communal. That, that part of the gift is being together and worshiping and responding to God together in unity and generosity that we live with deep generosity. We gather together often around food. Can I get an amen? There's something beautiful about gathering around food for extended periods of time. Community-oriented. Then there's one more aspect that we see here in Nehemiah chapter 8, and really we, we have to dip into chapters 9 and 10 as well. Uh, but there is a, a deeper response in hearing and studying and understanding God's word. What we read in chapter 8 is that the people's hearts are convicted. We, we get a sense of that because as the people listen to the word of the Lord, the law of God, they begin weeping. Because why? Because they're convicted that they've, they've fallen short of God's good standard and will and law for their lives. And so they're, they're responding with weeping and grief. Uh, but we get to chapter 9. We read a couple weeks later, day 24, this, this conviction uh, leads to confession. 
And the people begin confessing their sins, not only communally as God's people throughout their history, but also individually in this moment, they confess their sins. And that leads to chapter 10, where there's this moment of repentance, which leads to them committing themselves once again to the covenant of God. A little summary of that, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. And we read a prayer of their own confessions in chapter 9. You see... Here's the thing that we learn is that the impact of this spiritual renewal in Nehemiah was to extend beyond this week-long event, right? It wasn't just for this week-long time of partying and worship. No, the hope was that this, this move of God would bring lasting change among the people, that they would finally live as God intended them to live. At the very beginning of the story, right, we learned in, in Genesis chapter 12, there's this, this covenant that God makes with Abraham and, and Abram at the time, right, and says, I'm going to bless you. And why? So that you'll be a blessing to the nations. It's like this, this, this idea is that this movement of God, that the people of God would finally begin to live as God has called them to be kingdom, a kingdom of priests to the nations. And again, we, we step back into our own context, and, and what a powerful reminder Isn't that our hope? Our hope is is that what we do on Sunday mornings here in this space, our worship would have an impact on our lives, right? Amen? That that, that the Spirit would move in this hour, yes, but that, that movement of the Spirit would then begin to spill over into our lives and inform and direct how we live and how we love our neighbors and how we are God's ambassadors in this world. And vice versa, that, that all of the experience of this week, that the pain and the grief that many of us are holding today, that we would be able to bring that into Sunday mornings and our expressions of worship. These are not isolated things. No, this is part of living as God's people. And so when I think about Nehemiah chapter 8, we we think about this incredible movement of God for a whole week and plus 24 days where God's people are responding to God's word. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm imagining God's people after this moment, like just feeling so on fire and so inspired. Like my guess is hopes were high that, that this was a turning point. That this revival would, would bring continued blessing. That, that this is the moment that God's people would, would, would finally live into that call as, as a kingdom of priests, as a blessed to be a blessing, other ways of saying that. But what happens is the book of Nehemiah continues and something curious happens. Nehemiah chapter 13, if you continue reading, you, you, you read this chapter and you're like, wait a minute, like what's going on? Nehemiah 13, the final chapter of Nehemiah, the story picks up, and and what we see is is human sin has reared its ugly head once again. And the people of God have fallen back into those bad and selfish tendencies, and all those commitments to the covenant that they made in chapter 9 and 10, they've fallen back into those old patterns of living. The temple, the newly built temple is, is being neglected. The Sabbath is being dishonored. Merchants are selling goods just outside the city wall uh, on the Sabbath. People are, are losing their identity once again, continuing to intermarry from those from surrounding mer- uh, nations. And, and in fact, it's so disturbing to Nehemiah 
that he goes on this like angry rampage. It's one of those stories we kind of leave out in the kids' books, right? But Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 25, we read that, that Nehemiah goes and he's, he's rebuking people. He's calling curses down on them. He's, he's beating some of the men and pulling out their hair, or like ripping out the hair of their beards. Like, that's not a model of how we're to live, okay? Let me just say that. But then the book of Nehemiah ends in this chapter where like multiple times in chapter 13, he's, he's kind of throwing his hands up and saying, remember, Lord, I did what I could. Verse 30 and 31, so I purified the priests as one example, everything, and I signed them duties, each his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times for their first fruits. And this is the last line in Nehemiah, remember me with favor, my God. It's kind of Nehemiah saying like, I tried. So Lord, just remember that I tried my best. And then the book just ends. And we're like, what? Like it's kind of a confusing end to this book. And yet, if we, if we take it in context of Ezra and Nehemiah as a whole, that's kind of been the pattern. Uh, we've been prepared for this in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, each of these waves of return with Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, there's, there's been this, this, this work, this task of rebuilding the temple for Zerubbabel. Yet, if you remember, that task was met with resistance. And then after they laid the foundation, it was kind of this weird thing where some people were rejoicing and others were like weeping because it didn't compare to the previous temple. It's like... That's kind of weird. Ezra comes trying to, 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 to have this renewal of, of the law and Torah, and he comes and he finds people intermarrying with, with those from other nations, and then he's telling them that they should divorce and cast the children, and they're like, what's going on? That's weird. Nehemiah, he's rebuilding the wall. That's met with resistance as well. But Nehemiah 5, we read that, that, that they're, they're charging heavy interest that's leading to his own people being enslaved, and you're like, What's going on, right? As, as the, the video mentioned, after, uh, around this time, Malachi, a contemporary prophet, is also calling out many of the same issues that continue to plague the people around this time in their history. A lack of faithfulness to God, uh, a, a commitment to their marriage, a lack of commitment in their marriages, a lack of generosity, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we just pause and we're like, what is, what is going on? What's going on with the people? They, 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 they've had exile. They've returned to their land. And, and didn't exile teach them anything? But what we realize is that the human conditions, sin, it remains. And what this points to us, and this is part of this grand story that leads us to Jesus. It reminds us that the human condition remains, sin remains a plague to the people, and returning to Jerusalem was a wonderful, beautiful first step, but it wasn't enough. More was needed. More was needed. In fact, the prophet Malachi, the last words of the prophets in the Old Testament ends with these words, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. You see, the prophet Malachi joins with the voice of the other prophets that foretells of the return of the prophet Elijah or a prophet like Elijah who would prepare the people for the day of the Lord. Now, next week, we're going to begin remembering as we step into the New Testament, we're going to remember in the weeks ahead that, that John the Baptist would come. 
And he would be the one who would prepare the way. He was preaching repentance, calling people back to God, and he would prepare the way for the Messiah. More is needed, and that more is is Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for Jesus? You better give me an amen for Jesus, right? In the book of John, chapter 1, we read this. They asked him then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The answer to the human condition of sin is Jesus Christ, that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect presence of God in flesh who would come to overcome that human condition of sin. And the full healing and restoration of human hearts would only come and could only come through the power and presence, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that would bring redemption to those he calls his own. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. This is where this whole story leads to, Jesus Christ. Which brings us back to where we kind of started this morning. In light of God's word, in light of Jesus Christ, what are we to make of of the modern day revival or renewal movements or awakenings? Asbury doesn't call it what's happening there a, a revival. They call it an awakening or an outpouring. And as far as what's happening at Asbury's campus, I'll leave it to the experts. No, I don't have any grand conclusions or assessments. I don't think Bill does either at this moment. Uh, For me, I just think, you know, who am I really? What it seems, though, is that it is a genuinely significant moment in time for the students on Asbury's campus. And that's wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. Anytime God's people gather around the scriptures, and when you read about what's happening at Asbury, the things we identified in Nehemiah chapter 8 are the things that were happening there. Gathering around the scriptures, gathering around worship, gathering around community, repentance, and confession. That seems like a worthwhile endeavor that we all should be praying for and pursuing. Amen? And it reminded me of, of my time at Hope College and how, and being back there on Friday just reminded me of how formative those years were in my own life personally. Now, is that begin, the beginning of a more widespread revival? I, I don't know. And I'm not, and, and sometimes I, I hesitate on what people mean by that word and what they mean by that. And, and I really hesitate to anyone who's, who's trying to step into what's happening there and trying to leverage it for their own purposes. It's like, oh man. But here's what I do know. Any true revival does not happen apart from Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And if we're aiming for revival, if that's our goal, like let's, let's start a revival, I'm not sure we can, we can hit that target. I'm not sure we, we can just say revival, we're making that happen. But here's the thing. If we're aiming for Jesus, if we're aiming for Jesus through his word, through prayer, through worship, through repentance in community, then maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit might do something that goes beyond our wildest dreams or imaginations. And I think that's when revival happens, when we're aiming for Jesus. It's not about seeking revival. It's about seeking Jesus. It's about faithfulness. As Eugene Peterson kind of renews this saying, a long obedience in the same direction. And friends, we can pursue that every day. 
We can pursue faithfulness, pursuing Jesus every Sunday we gather together. And may that be our prayer, that we would strive for faithfulness, that we would trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Let's pray for God's work among us. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Spirit's work among us, in us, through us. We thank you, God, for for what you're doing in other parts of our, our country, other parts of the world. Lord, it's beyond our comprehension and understanding, but Lord, we also thank you for what you're doing right here among us. Lord, as we gather, as we we lean into your word, as we seek to understand, as we respond in worship, as as we gather and grow as as a community of believers characterized by unity and generosity and joy. Lord, as, 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 as our communities grow and we grow in trust, as we, we learn to share vulnerably with one another what we're struggling with, Lord, may your spirit be at work in these practices. And Lord, we do pray that your spirit would work in mighty ways to draw people to you. And Lord, we desire to be part of that. So reveal to us what faithfulness looks like in this season what that long obedience in the same direction of seeking after Jesus looks like. And Lord, may you give us the faith and courage to follow you where you lead us. And we pray all this in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I invite you to stand as uh, we sing together. Uh, Holy God, we praise your name.
people of God, may the Spirit work among us. Amen. And God is at work among us. Amen. Amen. As you go from here, receive uh, God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Let's sing.